This is a lecture that I gave at Southwestern Seminary when I was a professor there. So you're going to get a lecture today from a seminary professor turned pastor. You're like, oh my word, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But we really are. I say my heart, my belief is to teach the Word of God. Not, not just preach and be excited and, and teach truth, but I, I really want to communicate what the Scriptures say. And literally, I taught this class. It's called The Evangelism of Jesus in the New Testament. Dr. Roy Fish taught me, gave me his notes, and I, in turn, gave it to uh, the students when I was a professor there what feels like many moons ago. But I am with you, and I'm excited to share this message with you. It's called For the One. And what we're doing is we're studying the life of Christ. Uh, if you want a great biography, I'll mention four to you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are great biographies studying the life of Jesus. And what I've done for you is I've gone through the New Testament, and I've taken the salient features of the life of Christ. What were the characteristics of Christ that made him such a powerful witness, such a powerful tool in the hands of the Father? Remember Jesus Christ. He, his passion was to come and to seek and save the lost. In fact, in your, in your outline here, we've already given you four of these. He understood his mission, it says. He was completely dedicated to his Father's will. The Holy Spirit endued him with power. And then the fourth one says he was compassionate toward people. And that's what we looked at last week. And now we're going to pick right up where we left off last week and fill in some of the blanks of the life of Christ. And he was so, he was so compelled to do the Father's will to reach the one person of course, Jesus came and died for the world, but when you watch his life in the New Testament and you analyze it and evaluate it, what you see is the Messiah going from person to person. It just wasn't about humanity. It was for the sole, single soul. So the Bible says, what, a, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, he does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until uh, he finds it. So my, my desire in preaching these two introductory sermons is to help bring us up to speed to where Christ is in the New Testament. And I want us to study Him and emulate Him, not study just for intellectual purposes. And that's important. We, we need to worship God with our minds, but I want to worship God with my heart too. And I want my hands uh, and my feet and my life to reflect the image of Christ as He is there in the New Testament. You say, well, that's good for Jesus in the New Testament but let me tell you something, guys. What he's doing in the New Testament is very methodical. I think it's very scripted in his heart and in his mind because what he's doing is he's given us a template. He's given us a model that we can follow and implement. Just think of it like this. What if we, what if all of us were to imitate all that Jesus did in the New Testament, the way he loved people? the way he cast out those demons, the way he prayed over those lepers, the way he raised the dead, the way he just got involved in people's life. What if we did that? Then we would not have the testimony of Gandhi, if that's the case. And Gandhi was this close to accepting Christ as his personal Savior. He was. Spiritual leader of India, if you will. He said, the only thing that kept me from becoming a Christian was Christians. Because I looked at their life and the hypocrisy of their life, and I looked at how different their lives was from the life of Christ. So he said, I must look elsewhere. And so when people look at our life, you know, we're the only Bible that some people will ever read. We're the only Jesus that some people will ever see. Then when they look at us, I know we're not perfect. And I know we make mistakes. And it's something very beautiful and powerful when we say, I am sorry. 
I, I disappointed you, or I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And then we go right back into trying to pursue the Lord and trying to be an example for people uh, to follow. Speaking of the one, I heard this great testimony this week uh, by a man by the name of Nasser. Nasser, what a cool name, by the way. N-A-S-S-E-R, from Saudi Arabia. Came to America as a jihadist Islamic person. Now, I'm talking about living in America with hatred in his veins. He made it here from Saudi Arabia, and he just wanted to inflict as much damage as he could on the good old United States. Well, what happened was the total unexpected. Some Christians reached out to him, and they began to witness to him, and they began to pray for him, and they began to show him the love of God. And it just blew him away. He said, I'm reading the Quran. There's nothing in the Quran about love or the love of a heavenly father who would redeem and who would win my lost soul. And the Christian said, well, he, he can do that. His name is Jesus, and if you'll believe in him and trust in him. So he has these supernatural dreams, right? And by the way, they're having them. Muslims are having them all over the world, and they're seeing this, this man. He's dressed in white, and he is reaching out to them. And, and so Nasser, 20 years ago, prayed to receive Christ, and he's no longer an Islamic jihadist, all right? So he's given his testimony. He goes, that was then. Let me tell you something that happened just recently. He said, I was in Wichita, Kansas, and there was a, a young Muslim man, much like myself, many years ago. And he was in Wichita. He's in the university studying, and a Christian family reached out to him and said these words. We want to invite you over to our home for a Thanksgiving meal. Okay? And guess what the young Muslim said? The first thing he said was, what is Thanksgiving? And they're like, oh, we need to explain. Yes, you're in our country, but you don't know our, our customs and our culture. Thanksgiving is, well, let me just tell you like it. We just eat way too much food. We, we just party. We just have a great time with family and friends. And listen to this. We celebrate the goodness of God. And he goes, okay, I'll come. He went to the, uh, the Thanksgiving lunch. He had a wonderful time. And the family just reached out to him. And in the midst of that Thanksgiving meal... They shared the gospel with this young man. Well, that was during Thanksgiving. In the winter break, this family went off to, uh, to, to the west. They went to Colorado, I think it was. They went on a ski trip. And while they were there in the ski trip, this young Muslim in Wichita, Kansas, he's processing all of this. And he's going, wow, I've never really experienced anything quite like that. That family, they seem to genuinely love me. And they kept talking about this God that loves me, Jesus. And he goes, wow, I, I really need to consider this. And that night, he goes to sleep and he has a dream. He has a dream, true story, not of Jesus, but of Don. <laughs> Don is the dad of the Christian family that invited him over for Thanksgiving lunch, right? And in this dream, Don is standing on a mountain of snow. He is surrounded by all these fluffy clouds. He's like he's in heaven, and he has this big smile on his face. And the young Muslim, he wakes up from his dream, and he goes, that was wild. The next day, he gets a phone call from the family in Colorado and says, we're so sorry, we have tragic news for you. Our dad died. Don died. And he was thinking, oh, my. And this really confused him. Because whenever you meet somebody and you have great respect for them as a Muslim, and if you have a dream about them and the dream is they are in heaven, then that is God really speaking to you. So he goes, okay, I'll tell you what, God. He says, listen now, Jesus, if you're real, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to send somebody to me, like me, looks like me, speaks like me, in my language right here in Wichita, Kansas. The next day, he meets Nasser at a party. 
at a party, they just can't. Nasser says, you look like me. What's your name? And the guy goes, oh, my word. And he goes, where, where are you from? And Nasser says, I'm from Saudi Arabia. Where are you from? He said, I'm from Saudi Arabia. He said, what city are you from? They are from the same city in Saudi Arabia. In fact, their dads lived two streets apart in the city in Saudi Arabia. And the old boy dropped to his knees and gave his life to Christ. It was too much. It was just too much. He said, I, I've got to be, be saved. You say, well, why, why would God do that? Why would God pursue a lost sinner like that? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus said, I'm not content with 99. I want them all. I want them all. And if there's one single solitary soul that is struggling on life's highway, and there are billions of them, right? Then Jesus has compassion for them. Now watch this. In the sovereignty of God, in the great mind of God, this is how God works. God uses the Nassers and the Dons of this world. All right? And by the way, I am one of them, and so are you. We are the Nassers. We are the Dons. And when we have our antennas up and we're inviting lost people to our homes or when we are going up to people saying, hello, my name is so-and-so, what is your name? How can I pray for you? Listen, guys, when you're doing that, you just don't know the power of that. You're, you're cooperating with the Spirit of God. You're following the example of Jesus and you're creating an environment for the unconverted, the lost to come into faith in Christ. You say, but couldn't God choose another way besides using me? Because I'm so frail and foibled and I'm freckled and I'm all messed up and warts and all. And I, I'm just, I mean, God, surely there is a plan B. There is no plan B. It's you. It's me. We're all God's got on planet earth right now is us. You say, well, I don't like that. You got to take that up with God, all right? Because that, that's God's, that's his modus operandi. That's the way he works. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish out some more of these characteristics of, of Christ and they're going to look at some, some principles I'm excited to share with you. And we're going to do it all within 90 minutes. It's amazing how we're going to, we're going to do all this. When I taught this class, they gave me an hour and a half. So, listen, if we go an hour and a half, there will be preschoolers running in this room. And parents will be chasing after them. People will be chasing after them. We're not going to do that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up with number five. Though Jesus was sinless, he loved sinners. Though Jesus was sinless, he loved to be with sinful people. When you read in the New Testament, the Bible says that though he knew no sin, he became sin for us, that we might become the children of God. That is first, or 2 Corinthians 5, 21. All right, we're going to go quickly. Let's go to the next verse. It says, I love this. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw Jesus, he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Now wrap your mind around that. When's the last time you had lunch with a sinner? So I had lunch with my wife just the other day. Does that count? No, that, that doesn't count. What Jesus did, he was eating lunch with tax collectors, the ostracized, the banned people of society, and the sinners. Those who did not know God, didn't want to know God, were not interested in God, and Jesus befriends them. And they said to his disciples, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious church people said, how is it? that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and he eats and drinks with sinners. Well, the reason he did that is because he enjoyed being in their presence. He knew that he could not go to them and say, well, why don't y'all just come and show up at the First Baptist Church of the Capernaum Synagogue 
I'm just joking. There's no Baptist yet. But why don't y'all just come and, and visit with me and be in, be in my church? They're not going to do that. By the way, they're not doing that in Austin very much either. They will be kind to us and they will say, oh, thank you, and, and I might come. But let me tell you what's attractive is when you go to the next step like Jesus said and said, why don't I just come to you? Why don't you and I drink coffee over here at Starbucks one afternoon? Or why don't we go have lunch with one another? And, and so we, we've got to, and I, I really think this is so important, church. Listen to my heart. There was a day and there was a culture that we could put a sign up here, Great Hills Baptist Church, y'all come, and they would come. Listen, that day is pretty much gone. Okay? But let me tell you what's not gone. What's not gone is an attractive follower of Christ befriending lost people and saying, come with me. And then they come. So Jesus, he is pursuing the, the lost. and He's eating with them. He's drinking with them. And he is being criticized by them for, for doing that. Okay, let's go to the next principle, all right? All right. He's a person of prayer. And I want you to think about that for just a minute. Jesus prayed. Some of you are thinking, why in the world is he praying? <laughs> he's given us an example to follow. The Bible says, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself, and there Jesus prayed. Now when evening came, he was alone. Mark 1.35 says, now while it was a great while before daylight, he, he arose a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there Jesus prayed. Now, I want you all to think about this with me. If Jesus found it important and necessary to pray to the Heavenly Father, though he was perfect... What does that say for you and me? Because see, when we pray, we, we hear the heart of God. We hear the voice of God. And, and I agree with Mike Pence. I believe Jesus does speak to his people. He's not mentally insane. He's a follower of Christ. And when, and when you pray, Jesus, he speaks and he listens. And so Jesus gives us a model to pray, and it's a two-way conversation. We talk to God, and we listen to God. And while we're listening to God, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now what's on the heart of God. What's on the heart of God is the one lost soul. You say, why? Excuse me? If we understand the New Testament, the New Testament is a missionary document. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his son. The, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. For the one. I'll leave all the 99 and I'll go and pursue the one. You may be thinking today, that may be why I am not as passionate for unconverted, unchurched people because I don't pray. Bingo. Because if you prayed a lot, and if you read the Bible a lot, you would talk to lost people a lot. This is amazing grace. I don't like this sermon. Because it convicts my soul. Well, I'm fear of failure, a fear of rejection. No, we're just not following Jesus. Because <laughs> if you follow him, when Jesus is on your mind, he'll come out of your mouth, right? So he's a person of prayer. He knows the scriptures. He reads the scriptures. He memorizes the scriptures. And Jesus' mind is so deeply engrossed in the Old Testament. Roy Fish says that when you look at the 160 references of Jesus quoting the Old Testament, he quotes from two-thirds of the Old Testament Bible, 39 books in the Old Testament. For you people that like those factoids, let me give it to you again. 160 references. How does Jesus refer 160 times 
to the Old Testament because he read it. He knows it. He understands it. And he knows that there's power in the sacred writings of the prophets and the law and, and, and the Psalms and the Proverbs. And Jesus, he, he reads it and he memorizes it. And when he meets people, it just comes out of him. And, ooh, I think it's later. I'm supposed to read this quote to you. Ooh, I hope I can wait because there's just this sense of when we saturate our minds with the Bible and we're praying to God and then those things that are on God's heart become on our heart and then we start making a difference where, where we live. Okay, let me go to the next one real quick. Jesus asked a lot of questions. That's such interesting when you study his life. When you look at the life of Christ, he asked a lot of questions. And the reason he does this, not because he doesn't know things, he just wants to get people to talk. And he wants to listen to them and show value to them. Listen, you're looking at the most guilty person in the world. When I talk to people about God... I talk, I, sometimes I just talk too much. We ought to do things like, would you tell me a little bit more about that? When did you start believing that? Would you be interested to know what the Bible has to say about that? You see those rhetorical, didactic, Socratic, dialogical questions. Randy Newman's wrote an awesome book, written an awesome book called In Questioning Evangelism. People love to talk if we'll just let them and listen to them. All right? So we're looking at the life of Christ. And I'm just giving you a 30,000-foot overview when you look at his life and the way he prayed, the way he cared, the way he quoted Scripture, the way he asked questions, uh, the, the way he demonstrated compassion. When you look at the life of Christ, it's a beautiful representation of what the most godly, precious life is like on this earth. And, and when I am really filled with the Spirit and walking with God, I take on that nature of Christ. And I'm reading my Bible, and I'm praying and I'm compassionate, and I'm looking for the lost person. Okay, let me go to number two with you. The kind of people that Jesus dealt with. The kind of people with whom Jesus dealt. Now, this, this is short. There's only like two or three things I want to say about this. Number one, he ministered to everybody, all classes of people, the rich, the poor, the religious, the not-so-religious, the outcasts, the lepers, the hurting, the up-and-out, the down and out, the wealthy, the rich young ruler, the Zacchaeus and the Nicodemuses of this world were all wealthy, very, very wealthy. In fact, he was a rich, young ruler. Zacchaeus, the Bible says not only was he wealthy, he was incredibly wealthy. And then you have people like Nicodemus, a man of the Sanhedrin. In John chapter 3, these are wealthy individuals. And by the way, we live in a city of wealth, of opulence, of affluence. I mean, I can take a stone and I, I can throw it and I can hit somebody with a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, or a Ph.D., or an M.D., higher education. I would, I would go on record to say that Austin, Texas is one of the most intellectual, educated cities on the planet. I mean, there's maybe a few ahead of us, maybe like Boston, you know, with all those universities. But Austin, Texas has a lot of Educated people, erudite, scholarly, Ph.D., M.D. people. Guess what, friend? They all need Christ. They all need Christ. They need a Savior. You say, well, they don't act like it. They act like they got their act together, driving around their Mercedes Benz with their three or four girlfriends. Let me tell you something. They still need Christ. They need us to love on them, to serve them, to minister to them, to listen to them, to pray for them, to give them the Word of God and invite them to know Christ. You say, but what if they're not interested? They will tell you they're not interested. I'm, I'm going to give you some great words of, of, of advice or great words of wisdom. 
Y'all ready for this? Here's what you do when you try to talk to somebody who don't want to talk to you about God. All right, you ready, Sean? You're an agnostic, reprobate, atheist, heathen. All right, that's what you are. <laughs> and I want to talk to you about the Lord. Because I'm all fired up. Woohoo! Went to Great Hills Baptist Church. Got Jesus on my mind. He's coming out of my mouth. And, and I go talk to Sean. Sean goes, please don't try because it does not apply. <laughs> what, do, what do you do then? You just hit them. You just like, be quiet. You listen to me. Or you just say, well, just go on to hell. I was just trying to help you. Just go on. Just go on to hell. I was just trying to help you. You, know? you don't do any of that. When I meet the Sean's of this world, I say, hey, I want to honor that. And I just want you to know, I'm just going to be praying for you. God bless you. And I leave. Danielle Gutierrez, my future daughter-in-law, bless her soul. I mean, how can you not like Danielle? I mean, she's just precious, sweet she can be. Uh, the other day, she went up to three young people in Starbucks so I'd love for y'all to invite y'all to my church. I go to Watermark and get all three of them started laughing in her face. She told us this, and Leighton and I both, we just kind of bowed up like, well, who are they? Where, where are they? Let, let's, go, let's go talk to them. And they're like, that's not the right answer. Listen, that happens. And you say, well, that hasn't happened to me in a long time. When's the last time you invited somebody to Christ or talked to somebody that didn't know God? So let me encourage you, when they reject you, and they will, you are no more like Jesus and the apostles than when you are rejected. Ooh, I'm preaching to a bunch of Austinites. I'm preaching to a bunch of people. I don't like rejection. I don't get rejected, brother. I avoid rejection like the plague. <laughs> I don't like to be rejected either, but it just comes with the territory. We love people. It doesn't matter who they are, what they do, what their background is. We love on them. We ask them. We pray for them. We invite them to Christ. Secondly, man-made barriers did not hinder Jesus. I mean, you got, the, you got the race issue. You're talking about blacks and whites not liking each other in America and black lives matter and this life matter. You're talking about the tension that is so palpable in our culture. And unless God sends a mighty movement, we, we haven't seen the worst of this thing yet. And I'm praying and I'm getting involved as much as I can with Racial reconciliation. Well, let me tell you something. It pales into comparison to the Jew and Gentile division. They hated each other. In fact, so much so, they were going to... You got Jerusalem, Judea here. You got Samaria here. And you've got Galilee here. Whenever somebody from Jerusalem wanted to go to Galilee, this is what they would do. Whoops, Samaria. That's what they would do. In John chapter 4, Jesus said, that's a bunch of hogwash. I'm not going to do some circuitous route just so I can avoid somebody. I'm going to go right through Samaria. And he did, and he met the woman at the well. You see, the race, the gender, the class, the religion, it did not matter. Jesus just loved people. There was a cool thing the other day. We, we were talking to a young lady. Uh, I almost said her name, but I don't want to say her name. And uh, we, we were sharing with her, and, and I asked her, I said, can I, can I pray for you about anything? And and she goes, oh, I'm studying biochemistry over here at the university, and I, I need prayer. And I said, sister, you need prayer. I, and I'm going to pray, pray for you that God would help you. And I started talking about Tom Collier. I said, there's a guy in my church. And she was like, what? Church? I said, he's got a Ph.D. in biochemistry. She goes, what? A Ph.D. in biochemistry? I said, yes. And I said, guess what he does for a living? She goes, what? 
I said, he's an architect. <laughs> she said, what? Architect? I said, I know, he's crazy smart. After we prayed for her, she gave me the bill, and she wrote me a note. And the note said, thank you so much for praying for me today. And put a little heart on it and signed her name. So many people. Many people are open. Some, Sean, just not open. <laughs> but I'm finding in Austin, for every one Sean, there are 10 or 11 who are open to talking to me. It's amazing. Man-made barriers. He took them down. Number three, Jesus spent a lot of time with the spiritually needy or the poor in spirit. Why? Because they were more receptive to him. Now, you watch this carefully. Jesus, he's not going to stay long if you're rejecting him. Some of you here today, you're listening to me. It's painful, I know. Some of you are listening to me online, I know. And your heart's hard. It's cold. I just want you to know something. Be very, very careful. Because the Spirit of God's not always going to speak to you. He's not always going to strive with you. In fact, this could be your very last chance to enter into the kingdom of heaven because the Spirit of God said, I gave you this chance, and you did not accept the chance. But Jesus, the Bible says, he came and he was eating and drinking. You say, what was he drinking? <laughs> he was drinking what you think he was drinking because they called him a wine bibber, a lover of wine. This is amazing grace. <laughs> Baptist pastor talking about drinking. No, I don't. I don't drink it. Well, Jesus did. I, that's good, but I, I, I don't, all right? And if you do, you, you take that up with Jesus. So I'm like Jesus. Well, God bless you. Look at a glutton and a wine. <laughs> Ooh. They called him a glutton and a wine bibber. He's a drunkard because there he is with those tax collectors. No, he wasn't a drunkard. I mean, he was with them. He was in their company. He was being their friend, right? He hung out with them. He loved them. But wisdom is justified by her children. See, I love studying the life of Christ. And I'm probably going to get hit on this one, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Sometimes we get even more religious than Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like that. I don't know if I like that or not. All right, number three. I'm going to get off of that. Woo, get off of that. <laughs> number three, Jesus and his use of Scripture. Now, this is really important. I have like six minutes to wrap this up, so I want you to look at this with me. Jesus used the Word of God in his, as he dealt with people, okay? Look, look at the first one. Let's just roll through these, and I'll, I'll go through them pretty quick. Uh, Jesus, he... He, had a, he has a hard time with people who twist the Scriptures, okay? Here, the devil is twisting the Scriptures, saying in Matthew chapter 4, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, the devil knows the Bible a lot better than we do, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. That's Matthew 4, 6. That's the devil taking the Bible out of context, trying to, to quote it to Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. So 
I give you these examples that Jesus, he knows the Word of God, and when it's properly interpreted in its context, he quotes it and he references it, and he has little tolerance for those who take the Bible and twist it to try to make it say something it's not saying, all right? So this is Jesus as he deals uh, with the Scripture. He quotes the Word of God. He regards it as authoritative and when properly interpreted. Y'all got those up there? I'm on number three. All right, back up to number three. Do do y'all have those in your notes? Let me see what we got. All right, and number three, Jesus' use of Scripture in dealing with people. He quotes the Word of God. He regards Scripture as authoritative. When properly interpreted, he used Scripture frequently as he dealt with men and women. All right, that's for those of you that are, that are taking notes. Here's the quote I wanted to give you all about Scripture. Oh, I love this. It is blessed to eat into the very heart of the Bible until... At last, you come and talk in scriptural language, and your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord, so that your blood is bibline, and the very essence of the Bible flows from you. Wow. Say, who in the world said that? A good Baptist said that. Uh, 1861, 1891, pastor in London, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, That quote is a famous quote in Christendom. When you read the Bible so much, it saturates your mind that your blood is bibline and the very essence of the Bible flows through you as you live your life, especially as you interact with people. All right, the last thing I want to share with you, how Jesus dealt with sin in the lives of people. This is very important. And I think if we miss this, then we're not going to be very good ambassadors for Christ. Because we're, we're, we usually fall in one of two areas. We're either going to f- fall in the camp of the Pharisees and be too strict and, and more religious than Jesus and, and, and just be very, very legalistic and difficult, or we're going to be in the camp of the antinomians, which say, well, just eat, drink, be merry, ask God to forgive you, it's all right, do what you want to do. And neither one of those are right. In fact, both of those are equally fallacious. There's a sweet balance between grace and truth. There's a balance of believing correctly and living correctly. There, there's a sweet balance. You say, well, how do I find that balance? Because I'm, I'm kind of... I kind of lean toward one of those ways. I, I kind of lean, 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 lean toward the legalist, and I find myself mad at people all the time, fussing at people all the time, quoting Scripture the wrong way all the time. But some of y'all saying, that's not my problem, brother. Here's my problem. And I'm like, chill out. It's all right. Don't worry about it. You know, it's just eat, drink, be merry till you die. God will forgive you all as well. Both of them are crooked. You see, I'm crooked this morning, all right? I'm crooked this way, or I'm crooked this way, and this is Jesus' way, all right? He's got that sweet balance about him. He's beautiful. He's winsome. He's attractive. He knows the law. He he fulfills the law. He gives us righteousness. He gives us peace. Man, he really gives us joy over here. We don't have to have the things of this world because we got him. And we don't have to be mean because we got him. We got that sweet, sweet balance. Oh, if we could find that. If we could find that balance of Jesus Christ, we too would be much more winsome and attractive to people that we meet. There's four, three or four things, and we're done. He was compassionate, and yet Jesus was direct with people. You say, how do you know that? John chapter 4. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. My word. There she is, and Jesus said, I will give you living water. That is very compassionate and redemptive. And then, in verses 16 through 18, and we'll study this eventually, he said, go call your husband. And she goes, well... I don't really have a husband. He says, I know you don't. Because the guy you're living with ain't your husband, is he? She's like, what? What? 
blew my mind. How'd you know the guy I'm living with is not my husband? And Jesus is like, I know everything, and that's not right. And by the way, I just want y'all to know, it's still not right today. If you cohabitate with somebody that's not your wife or it's not your husband, Jesus ain't cool with that, okay? Because you look at John chapter 4. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Literally, literally, at Great Hills Baptist Church, I've had people get in my face mad at me. You reprobate pastor. What kind of pastor are you? You bunch of legalists is what you are at Great Hills. I'm like, no, I'm just saying Jesus said that ain't cool. Man, lie, preacher, help me. Help me. I mean, what? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be this ogre, y'all. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to say it's really cool to get married. If you, if, if you like it, put a ring on it, all right? And, and marry the person, all right? Just, just marry them. I don't want to marry them. Then quit living with them. So well, you won't let me join the church if I'm living with my girlfriend. I, I don't. What? You know, duck. I never knew a, a, a preacher could be so hated for believing something in Austin, Texas, something like that. You said, you making that up, brother? That's just not true. Man, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Where's my wife? I bring my wife up here to testify. I say, no, he's telling the truth, okay? Another thing, Jesus, he had this beautiful balance between directness and compassion when he told the woman caught in adultery. And we, we like this passage because we say Jesus kneels down to her and says, hey, by the way, any of you guys want to, any of you not sin, won't you throw a stone at her? And they're all like, throw the stone down. And we champion that about Jesus, say, see, it's okay. But then Jesus whispers to her and he says, let me tell you something, ma'am. I'm not condemning you, but stop doing this. Go and sin no more. Remember that? We're, we're okay with uh, no thrown, stones throwing, but when we start giving instruction and saying, you know, why, why, why does God do this? Why does God tell us, no, that's not the best way to go. Don't do that. Don't marry a Muslim. Don't cohabitate with a person. Don't have promiscuity. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't do this. Don't do that. You say, man, why does God do that? Is he just, has he lost his mind? This is the 21st century. God, you need to lighten up on them rules and let me just let me live. Let me live a little bit. Here's why, friend. Listen to me carefully. Because God loves you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to do something that's destructive to your life. That's why. That's why God gives us these rules and regulations. Because he really does love us. And he wants what's best for us. Number two. He loved the sinner, but he did not love the sin. If you don't believe me, read Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus was tactful in his speech. He was direct with Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus, he said, uh, he, he, let's read this. This is really good. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Are you all right? He just told the deacon or the pastor of the church, you're not going to heaven because you don't have a relationship with me. And then Jesus answered, and if that wasn't enough, Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Ouch. Are you the teacher of all of Israel and you don't know that God so loved the world that I've come to the world? That's very direct. That's very intentional. That's very confrontational. And there are times when you need to do that. 
I need to encourage you, though. Please, please, please be filled with the Holy Spirit and make sure it's God speaking through you and it's not you speaking in anger, all right? The last thing I want to share with you is this. He spoke of the high demand of discipleship. Jesus spoke of the high demand of discipleship. In Mark chapter 10, with the rich young ruler, he did not run after him. He told him what he needed to do. And the rich young ruler said, I don't want that. And Jesus let him go. Another example is John chapter 6, verses 65 and 66. When Jesus was teaching, he was teaching some hard things like what I was teaching a minute ago. Listen to me carefully. What I said a few minutes ago is so repulsive and so repugnant to some of you and to some of you listening, you're going to quit coming this very day. I know, it's rough. It's, it's rough. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm being as serious as a heart attack. He says, so Brother Danny, that gives me a good opportunity to ask you something. Why in heaven's name do you preach that stuff when you know that offends people and people aren't going to join our church? And why, why do you do that? Because I have a commission from heaven that far exceeds a commission from man. All right? And God says, this is my word, and you need to preach my word. You, you need to speak on my behalf. You let the chips fall where they may. If they don't like it, and then, then that's between them and me. But you have to preach the truth. You don't preach the truth. How are people going to know the truth? So I'm trying to share with you the truth in love. And Jesus Christ said, here's the deal. You have to consume me. I have to be your everything. And John chapter 6 says they all left. Everybody left. I think we've had an exodus here at Great Hills. You ought to have seen the exodus Jesus had. I mean, they got up and left, and Jesus turned to the disciples, and he goes, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter said, I can't leave because you have the word of life. And so Jesus said, that's right. But aren't you glad that Jesus did what he did because he spoke the truth, and you and I are here today. And we get to come into the kingdom because Jesus blazed that trail and he said those hard things. The next few weeks will be interesting. Probably the next few months will be interesting. Because I'm going to, I'm off of my introductory sermons, topical sermons. There's two types of preaching. Expositional preaching and bad, Okay. I'm, I'm serious. These last two sermons have been bad. They're, they're not, it's not a, a gr- a good preaching. Good preaching is when you take the scripture and you stay with that one scripture and you let that scripture speak to the hearts of the people and don't bounce all over creation. So where did you learn that? Well, I read it in a book somewhere. No, I, it's, it's true. Gauge a sermon if they stay with the Word of God and they don't bounce. You say, well, I heard a sermon. You just preached a sermon. You had 28 scriptural references. I know. Forgive me because I'm making a point, all right? We're building a foundation for when we dive into these encounters of Jesus with Zacchaeus, or we've covered him, but we'll look at the woman at the well. We'll look at the rich young ruler. We will look at the centurion. We we will look at the, ooh, Mark chapter 2, the guy up in the roof. Cutting the roof, coming down. We're going to look at all of those. And I'm going to be very interested to see what God does in our church as we study Jesus. Because Jesus is very attractive and he's most unattractive to many. Okay? 
But that's what we get to do. We get to study over the next few weeks. Can I ask for y'all's forgiveness? Because we've gone late and we're going to pray and we're going to do something I love to do in our church and then we're going to eat. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the word of God, that it is rich, it is deep. Thank you, Lord, for this 30,000-foot view that we've looked at the word of God. We've looked at the characteristics of the Christ, the way you lived, the way you talked to people, the way you listened to people, the way you quoted scripture, the way you prayed, the way you dealt with sin, the way you loved everybody. God, it, it speaks to us profoundly. And Lord, when I look at my life and I measure it up against your life, Lord, I come woefully inadequate. It makes me, just drives me to the cross and say, Lord, please forgive me. Help me. Help me, Lord, to be more like Christ and less like my carnal self. So, Lord, I pray you'd do the same thing in our people. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for that person that is here. Lord, their heart has been stirred by the word of God, and yet they're, they're upset. And there's a decision. There's a valley of decision. They are in it. And which way they go, Lord, it's going to set the course for the rest of their life. Lord, I pray that you'd have mercy on them. Draw them close to you. Draw them, God, into a relationship with you. Lord, pride is our greatest enemy. You tell us, Lord, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Help him humble himself under the mighty hand of God. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And I'm praying for you now, whoever you are. Before you leave this place, you would say, God, you are God, I am not. And I'm surrendering my life to you and I yield my spirit to you, Lord, to, to be obedient to the word of God, to, to the life of Christ. Would, would you do that right now, sir? Please, please don't wait. No, I'm, I'm really, I'm serious. I don't do this very often. I've been preaching here going on eight years and I've done this, what I'm doing right now, I've done this like four or five times. So whoever you are, please, please listen. Don't let this day go because there may not be another day. Lord, there are those here at Great Hills and Lord, you're continuing to bring people to us and I'm grateful. And I pray, God, if I have been offensive to them, would you please forgive me of that? But Lord, if you have offended them, then Lord, that's okay because it's your word, it's your way and, and you tell us these things, God, because you love us and you want what's best for us. So I'm praying, Lord, for Great Hills Baptist Church, God, you would not fill us up with a bunch of Pharisees. God, don't grow our church with a bunch of legalistic, mean-spirited people. And also, Lord, don't, don't grow us with a bunch of people who say, it doesn't matter what you believe, just live happy, be happy. Lord, give us, give us the people, God, that they're passionate for you. Lord, we're going to take them right where they are, and we want to teach them, Lord, to, to go deeper, God, deeper in their relationship with you. Lord, bless our time together, our invitation, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, before we do anything else? We want to sing this song. We'll have a time of decision. May God soften your heart as Terry leads us. May the Spirit of God just soften your heart. May you come. May you come to faith in Christ even, even now as we sing.